Okay, how many of you think that you are the greatest person to ever walk on this planet? <laughs> All right, Jess. <laughs> but how many of you secretly in your heart of hearts really want to have a big impact on this planet? Like you think that you were created for something really big, right? Like every single one of us in our little heart of hearts, we don't want to admit it, but we really do got, believe that God made us for something big, right? <laughs> Brandon says a gas station attendant. Yeah. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard of Henrietta Mears? Anybody? No one's heard of her. Well, did you know if it hadn't been for Henrietta Mears, probably Master Plan would not exist, and half of you might not even have even come to Christ. Um, Henrietta Mears was actually a Sunday school teacher at a church that's called First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood. And Henrietta Mears had a great heart for God and wanted to live for God all of her life. And she became a chemistry teacher after she graduated from college. And she felt that God wanted to be a missionary, but God had other plans for her. And he called her to this church. They called her, he called her to be a Sunday school teacher. But she remained faithful in that position that God put her in. And out of her Sunday school class, 400 of her students went on to full-time ministry of which one of them was Bill Bright. She led Bill Bright to Christ. Isn't that incredible? And she also had a big influence in Billy Graham. Billy Graham says, I doubt if any other woman outside my wife and my mother has had such a marked influence on my life. She is certainly one of the greatest Christians I have ever known. One woman, we don't even know much about her, but just her faithfulness and her obedience to God is the reason that half of us are in this room today, right? But the thing is, is that Henrietta was standing on the shoulders of someone else. Her mother brought her to Christ, right? So if it hadn't been for her mother's influence and her mother's impact on her life, Henrietta wouldn't have been a Christian, Bill Bright wouldn't have been a Christian, Russ wouldn't have been a Christian, and then a lot of us in this room wouldn't have been Christians. But then Henrietta's mother, you know, it didn't start with her, right? She was standing on the shoulders of someone else, and that person on the shoulders of someone else, and that person on the shoulders of someone else, all the way back to the Apostle Paul and to Jesus Christ. So you today, you're, you have a historical connection with Jesus Christ. With the work that he did 2,000 years ago, it is impacting and influencing you today. Isn't that an incredible example? Like, isn't that a neat thought that not am I only in the present connected with Jesus, but in the past, too? Going back to our influence on this planet, Master Plan's <coughs> purpose statement is to prepare others to reach and influence the world for Christ. Thinking about in those terms, if Nate and I really had the opportunity, which we do, we could influence Pakistan. The whole country of Pakistan. Isn't that an interesting thought? Because I guess they say, statistics show that you are six people away from everyone in the world. So that means you know someone that knows someone that knows someone. So six people away. I am four people away from the President of the United States. I know my best friend who grew up on a ranch that was owned by Mr. and Mrs. Hershey, who own actually um, Hershey Chocolate. And the Hershey's are really good friends with the former President Bush. They used to go dine at the White House. President Bush obviously knows President Bush now, right? So I'm four people away from President Bush. I am, Nate and I are three people away from the President of Pakistan. We have really good friends, Joe and Aisha, and Aisha's father is one of the high-ups in the Pakistani government who actually died multiple times with Musharraf, right? So if you think about it, 
using multiplication, using this idea of influencing and impacting the world for Christ, I could, my impact on this planet could influence Pakistan. So, yeah, you don't have a choice. <laughs> you are going to impact and influence this world. Whether you're going to do it for Christ or for meaninglessness is your, your choice, really. Um, you can either do great harm or great good. Uh, if you look at the kings of Israel, let's look at 2 Kings 15, 8-9. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned six months. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his fathers had done. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he caught, had caused Israel to commit. Okay, so right there, here's this guy, he's a leader of Israel. And God held the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah to account for the sins committed by the country of Israel. If you look again in 2 Kings 21.11, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. So there Manasseh is held to account for the sins committed by Israel, right? And it says that because of the sins of Manasseh, God is going to judge Judah. Isn't that crazy? Just one person's impact and influence affected the entire nation of Judah. So... As Christians, we have been entrusted with the sphere of influence. God has entrusted us on this planet to influence people. In Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And also look up 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So right there we see that as Christians, that we are entrusted we are given a sphere of influence. God has asked us to be faithful in certain areas in our life. But there is one problem, and we've read this verse, Nate read it last night, and Kyle read it today. It's Philippians 2.21. It says, For everyone looks after his own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. Basically, guys, this is what it boils down to. When we are looking after our own interests, we are influencing people through futility, through meaninglessness, through things that won't last. But when we are looking after the interests of Christ, we are influencing people with an eternal perspective. If you look at Jeremiah 30, 21, God asks, Who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? And this is where it all hinges. And you think about these people like Billy Graham and Bill Bright and all these amazing people, you know, Henrietta Mears. And what do they do? This is what sets them apart, is they answered the call to be devoted to the Lord. Russ talked about this yesterday morning. Crossing that bridge of dedication going from the land of futility to the land of total commitment. And that's the step that these people took. And that's why so many people have come to Christ, so many people have been impacted for good, for eternal perspective, was just because they took that step. So when you're stuck in the land of futility, guys, when you haven't crossed that bridge, you are influencing people with meaninglessness. But when you cross over to that land of commitment, you do influence people with eternal perspective. One biblical character I want to look at, and that is Daniel. He is a good example on so many different levels. He really did influence and impact this world, and probably his influence still impacts us today. If you look at what he accomplished, um, he was advisor to two Babylonian kings and two Mede and Persian kings. Uh, because of his influence, two of those kings began to serve God. You have Nebuchadnezzar, who finally submitted to God, and then Darius, who after throwing him in the lion's den, it's like, wow, God, your God is amazing. 
And if you look at Cyrus in Ezra 1-2, it says, This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. And I don't think that if Daniel hadn't have had the influence that he did on Darius, uh, that Cyrus would have been like this. And if you remember, Cyrus is the one that led the Israelites go back to their homeland. Because remember, they were in Babylon, and they had been taken captive, and Cyrus was the one that led them back and let them return to rebuild the temple. But I really believe that if Daniel had not been faithful, had not been a godly influence in Babylon, I don't know if Cyrus would have let the Israelites go, right? Because I think that Daniel had such an influence on Cyrus that God was able to work in Cyrus's heart. Some of the things that also they say about Daniel, we think about the three wise men that came to visit Jesus, could have been because of the influence that Daniel had in that area, in the Persian culture, that moved the three wise men to come see Jesus. Daniel impacted the three wise men, which even down today impact us. So one thing about interesting about Daniel is that he was from a royal family. Before he was a captive, he was rich. He had everything he wanted. I'm sure he had servants, and he was handsome, so I'm sure the girls were really liked him. He was very well educated. He was pretty smart. We know that because in the beginning of Daniel 1, it talks about how the authorities wanted to find someone that could learn well and was, had aptitude for every type of learning. So we know he was pretty smart. He had everything going for him, and then he lost everything. This is an amazing example of someone losing everything, but you're still staying faithful to God, still staying dedicated to God. Now, when he lost everything, he lost his country. He never returned to Jerusalem. You know, he died in Babylon. He lost his freedom. He was forced to serve the king. He was forced to learn a new language, a new culture, and they tried to get him to accept a new religion. And you know that because they renamed him. He even had a new name. They renamed him Belshazzar, and what that means is Bel protects his life. And Bel was the number one god in Babylon. So they tried to force him to change his religion. His life was threatened on several occasions. A lot of people believe that he became a eunuch. They forced him to become a eunuch. So if you think that your life is hard, imagine that. <laughs> imagine losing everything, plus things that guys are really proud of. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> now, I think what sets Daniel apart is he has several character traits. And I think when you think about all the people that have had big influence and big impact on this planet, they model these character traits too. One thing is Daniel trusted God completely. He trusted God so much that it's like he lived in a different mindset. He lived on a different planet almost because no matter what anybody did to him, his focus was always on God and his actions were you know, followed in line with that. And if you look at Daniel 6.23, talks about him in the lion's den. The whole background of the story is Darius was really impressed with him because, one, he had such a reputation for being full of integrity and, and trusting in God. And so Darius wanted to put him in charge, second in command, of the whole entire country. And so they had some people that were pretty jealous of that, and they wanted to find a way to basically get rid of Daniel because of their jealousy. And so they knew one way to do it was to, you know, trap him in his relationship with God. So here we find that even Darius knows that Daniel 
trust God completely. And in Daniel 6.23, it says, this is after the whole circumstance in the lion's den. It says, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He trusted in God completely. And I think that is a key, the biggest thing about that sets people of great impact and great influence apart is that they trust in God completely no matter what. Another thing that Daniel did that sets him apart is he gave glory to God in everything. Like he never took the credit for anything that happened. And in Daniel 2, 26 through 28, the story behind this is that the king has a dream and he tells his magicians, hey, uh, I need you to tell me what this dream means, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You have to figure it out for yourself, right? And they're like, uh, that's not fair. How can we, you know, figure that out? And so the king's like, well, if you don't, I'm going to kill you. And so they're like, well, we can't. And so the king goes, well, I'm going to kill you. And so they're going to kill Daniel and all of the magicians. And Daniel's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second here. You know, let me pray and let me, you know, see if God gives me the interpretation for this dream. So Daniel prays and God gives him the interpretation. And we picks up here in... Daniel 26 through 28. So the king asked Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. And then he goes on and explains it. So right there he's saying, You know, I'm not wise enough, I'm not good enough, but... There is a God in heaven that is. So right there, he is giving glory to God. And because he continually gives glory to God, that is why he has an impact on Nebuchadnezzar. That is why Nebuchadnezzar eventually comes to God is because Daniel always gave glory to God no matter what. He never took credit for himself. He exemplified a life of obedience, and this is huge. If you cannot completely trust God, then obedience is hard. It's almost impossible. So because Daniel trusted God completely, he was able to lead a life of obedience. And in 1, 8 through 13, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So here we have two things. We see two things here. One, that he trusts God completely, and two, that he's living obediently. The background on this is that in the law, there were certain dietary things that the Jews were not supposed to eat. And obviously, whatever the king was feeding them was one thing that they were not supposed to eat, and Daniel knew it. So Daniel wanted to obey God, and he knew that God would work things out. So he took that step of faith, and so he was able to go to this king's official and say, hey, I know that God has better things for me, and so test me in this and see if it's not true. So he was willing to put his life on the line and also the official, knowing that God would always come through for him. And that's what it takes to be live a life of obedience, is knowing that God is always going to come through for you, knowing that you can always trust God. And that's what Daniel did. And the interesting thing about this story is Daniel's not the only Jew there. And 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only Jews there. There were a lot of other young Jewish men there that did defile themselves, that did not live a life of obedience, and you don't hear anything about them, right? And because Daniel took that step of faith, that first step of faith, he had such an influence and impact on Nebuchadnezzar and then all the way down to us today. One thing about Daniel, and this is kind of interesting, is he's a nonconformist. So he wasn't really there to protect his image. He didn't really care. He didn't really care about what people thought. So if you look at it, Daniel 1, going back to all the other Jewish people, agreed to eat the meat, right? Agreed to eat whatever they had for him. Because they, they wanted to protect their hides, basically. They wanted to be obedient to the king and not to God. They tried to change Daniel's religion, but he stayed true to his God. He didn't, he didn't follow after what they wanted him to do. If you think about it, you think about Billy Graham, you think about Bill Bright, you think about all these amazing men of God, men and women of God. The one thing that stands out is that they stand out. And people stand out because they're different. Because they're not afraid of who they are in Christ. They're not afraid of their image. They're not afraid to make, take a stand and cause a stir. Another thing about Daniel is that he was full of integrity and he was disciplined. If you look at Daniel 6, 3, 4 again, talking about when the jealous governors were trying to get rid of Daniel. This is what they even thought of Daniel. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So basically, he did what he was told to do. He was disciplined, and he was honest, and he was trustworthy, right? Daniel was humble when the magicians were about to be killed. He could have been like, ah, oh, they're ungodly men, let them die, you know. But he said, don't kill them. And he gave glory to God. He never took glory for himself. And he lived a life of prayer. And this is a huge thing that sets every man and woman of God that has a big impact on this planet apart, is that they have a life of prayer. The largest church in the world is in Korea, South Korea. I believe it has 300,000 people in it. And the Korean pastor asked, was asked, you know, how'd you do it? And the Korean pastor goes, I pray six hours a day for my church. He prays six hours a day. I can barely pray an hour a day, you know. <laughs> six hours a day. And if you look at it, I'm sure Billy Graham is a man of prayer. I'm sure Bill Bright was a man of prayer. I'm sure Henrietta Mears was a woman of prayer. And every man or woman you can think of, one thing that's both set them apart was that they were men and women of prayer. And you look at Daniel, in Daniel 6, 5-7, through 7, it says, Finally these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And what that was, was they made a law that said that no one can pray to anyone but the king. Because they knew that Daniel was a man of prayer. It was evident, like, there was no hiding it from anybody. And so he was set apart because he prayed. <laughs> he was a man of prayer. So, one thing you guys got to know is when you take that step, when you cross that bridge of dedication, it will be impossible to walk with God and not rub off on others. That's just the way it is. If you look at Moses' example in Exodus 34, 29-30, you won't turn there. Moses, after he meets with God, his face is glowing. And people are like, oh, whoa, what's up with you, you know? You look at Paul in Acts 27, 1-3. 
Since when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from, uh, I have no idea how that word is pronounced, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. I don't know about you guys, but I've never heard of a guard letting a prisoner go. Why would he do that? Why would a guard, Cassie, your family works in the prison industry, I guess you call it. Have they ever let prisoners go? Are prisoners generally known to be pretty trustworthy? So what was it about Paul that Julius was like, hey, go for it, you know, get off the boat, go in the city, you don't have to worry about it, you know, let your friends take care of you. Why is that? Why is it that Julius was so amazed by Paul? If you read more of Acts 27, you'll see that not only was that an evidence of how much Paul affected Julius, but Julius even began to go, hey Paul, what can we do next? Because Paul had such an impact, and Julius knew that Paul had a very high-standing character, and that Paul really trusted God. And because of that, who knows what happened to Julius? Maybe Julius became a Christian, who knows? So you cannot walk with God and not influence others. If you look at Matthew 5, it says, Salt is tasty and light is unavoidable. So let's look at that real quick. It's in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And there again, it is impossible to walk with God and not have an impact on others. But you can't hide a city that's standing on a hill. You see it for miles. Uh, it says, living water is attractive. And it talks about streams of living water flowing out of us in John 7, 37-39. And the fruit of the Spirit is visible in our lives when we walk with God. It's just noticeable. People notice it. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, those things are evident in your life. So God has given us the sphere of influence, and we looked at that again. We looked at that Ephesians 2.10. Colossians 4.5 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. So everywhere we are, we are called to be an influence and have an impact on those people with an eternal perspective, not with a perspective that will never be, have any meaning. God has given us where we're at to influence. So... You people at Mesa State, you're not there by accident. You know, you're there because God put you there because He knew that you were faithful. You people at Fort Lewis, you're not there by accident. You know, what you do here is a springboard for the rest of your life, basically. Today is the day that you need to influence the world for Christ. Not in the future, but today. He's given you this place today, you know, to impact it, to influence people. And if you think about it, I don't think Henrietta Mears knew the impact that she would have on this planet. I don't think she was waiting for this big event where she was like, okay, this event is where I'm going to have the biggest impact possible. Who thinks that they're going to impact the world through Sunday school, honestly? Just her faithfulness in this little area, look what it did, because that Bill Bright came to Christ. But she, I don't think she was expecting one person to have that influence. So you're here at Fort Lewis, and who knows, you may impact someone who will impact the world in huge ways. Not only are we put here for a purpose, but he puts people into our lives for a purpose. 
So think about the people around you. I'm not around those people. You know, Russ isn't always around those people. Kyle's not around those people. Nate's not around those people, right? You guys are put with the people in your lives because God wants you to influence those people for good. God wants you to influence those people for Him. And it says He's not willing that anyone should perish. So all those people that are in your life, you are a Christian for a reason. You're a Christian because you're called to be an ambassador for Christ. And He's put those people in your life to be faithful with. Let's look at Colossians 1, 28-29. It says, We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. So, we are entrusted not only with non-Christians, but we are entrusted with the Christians around us too, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to um, bear their burdens, to have fellowship with them, to influence non-Christians and Christians is what we're called to. But one thing that it takes, guys, is faithfulness. That is a huge, huge thing. Luke 16, 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And then 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Let's look at it. It says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Okay, so let's look at it this way. Ephesians 2, 10 says that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So if you are created for a purpose... It stands to reason that you kind of don't have a choice in that purpose, right? Like, that's what God says. This is what you have to do. And it says, so this is a trust. Your sphere of influence is a trust. Something that God's entrusted you with. And it says that you have to prove yourself faithful to that trust. It's like a command. It's not, well, some days I feel like it, some days I don't. So, what does it mean to be faithful? In Matthew 5, 7, it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? So if you say yes to God, if you say, God, I want to follow you, I want to give my life to you, then keep your word. Don't do these things that are futile. Don't do these things that, you know, will have no impact and no meaning in life. But do things with an eternal perspective. My dad always said, always keep your word no matter what. No matter how inconvenient it is to you, always keep your word. That's what faithfulness is. It's keeping your word to God. Be available. In Philippians 2.21, remember, it's... You know, everyone looks after the, their interests and not the interests of Christ. But if we're looking after our own interests, then we're not going to be available for God. Remember Nate last night talked about, he asked you guys, out of your interests, how, how much percentage of your time is spent for your own interests versus for Christ? And so if you ranked high on percentage of interest that you spent on your own interests, then basically you probably are not available for Christ to be faithful in your sphere of influence. Guys, your ministry has to be an outflow of your relationship with God. In Psalms 127, it says that unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. So if you're doing ministry out of your own strength, not because you're dedicated to God, that you've crossed that, you know, into the land of total commitment, if you're doing that, if you haven't done that yet, then your labor is in vain. So your ministry has to be an outflow of your relationship with God because that's the only way that you're really going to influence people with an eternal perspective is when you are so focused on God that it just pours out of you that everything you do is because you want to glorify Him so be faithful, be faithful to your quiet times guys if you are not you know, faithful to that if you're not faithful to seeking God then you're doing it in vain you know, be faithful to show up to what you, you said you show up to be faithful to meeting people. Remember, 
you know, you never know who you're going to impact that will change the planet. Uh, be faithful to share the gospel. Remember, Daniel glorified God in all he did, and because of that, we are impacted today. Because of that, you know, the Jews probably got to return to their homeland. Because of that, Nebuchadnezzar is probably in heaven, you know. Because of that, Darius glorified God. You know, be faithful in your Bible study. Be faithful in all the other areas that God has given you. If you have, uh, you know, non-Christians in your family, be faithful to your family, you know, to glorify God in your family. If you have, you know, non-Christian friends, be faithful with them, you know, if you're entrusted with something, God wants you to be, prove yourself to be faithful in it. If you are faithful in little areas, you will be faithful in much. And if you're faithful in much, you will have a big impact and influence on this planet. But we look at Saul's conversion in Acts 9, 13-17. It says, For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Jews on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. The Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man, and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument. And then, going on, it says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Okay, so here, Saul basically has been murdering all the Christians. And God tells Ananias, Go minister to Saul. And Ananias is like, What? Are you serious? This guy has killed everyone. I don't think so. So what ha would have happened if Ananias hadn't been obedient, hadn't been faithful to that one little area that God called him to be faithful in? Saul wouldn't have probably gone on with Christ. Saul probably wouldn't have been able to be obedient to God. And if you think about it, if Saul hadn't been obedient to God, you and I would probably be, be still worshiping little gods, you know, these little pagan gods all throughout Europe today because it was Paul's influence with the Gentiles. That's the reason why we're here today. All these little steps of obedience, all these places where people were faithful had such an influence on you today. Imagine if you're not faithful, if you break the chain that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Remember, you have a connection with him historically. If you break that off and say, I won't be faithful, what kind of impact will that have on the planet? Right? So, God has placed you in a specific area at a specific time to influence specific people. This is your sphere of influence. Faithfulness now is all that matters. So be faithful with the sphere of influence God has given you. And go change the world.